baby face is a good thing. I, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. I feel like I've aged a lot in the last year. Yeah, well, I'm counting we the gray have. hairs now, Mo. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I'm joined by a popular reporter and news anchor, a familiar face on your television screen. He is a solid journalist with a million-dollar smile. <laughs> he is the anchor of the Saturday and Sunday editions of Global News at 11, and he reports for the Global News Hour at 6 during the week. Not sure if he gets any time off, but hey, he's made time for me. He is a North Delta boy. He is Jordan Armstrong. Jordan, how are you, man? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I feel like this is a long time coming. I know we've talked about doing this, and now yeah. we're finally here. And we've even co-hosted together before, but we've <laughs> yeah. never actually met in person. So this is fantastic. We have. People probably thought that we were meeting in person, but TV we, tricks. we were on TV. That's correct. Yeah. It is really nice to meet you in person. This is actually one of the coolest parts of this podcast for me is being able to meet people in person yeah. who I see on TV all the time and who I rely on for the news. Like I obviously watch your newscast, but then I also follow you on Twitter to, to get all the breaking news and to get lots of cool footage of what's going on in the city. So, so you know it's surreal. true. The camera adds 10 pounds, right? <laughs> you are better looking in person. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I paid you I'm, to say that. And I am serious about that <laughs> smile. It, it is no joke. You know, my mother's going to like that because she's a dental hygienist. So that's her work. <laughs> well, well, props to Mrs. Armstrong. She's thank done you. good work. <laughs> I have to ask you this, and this has been killing me for three years. <laughs> Did Jazz Paul Otwal end up voting for the Liberal Party of Canada? Did we get some sort of resolution <laughs> on that? Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> no, that kind of went away. So it's an unsolved mystery? It's an unsolved mystery. Okay. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Was it three years ago? I guess it was. It, it was, was 2018. It was before I started the podcast. Yeah. And you were probably a familiar face to me on TV. But that was the moment where I was like, Jordan Armstrong, like that, oh. you, you were etched in my memory when I saw that footage. And I was like, that's amazing. That was so And if people don't know what we're talking about, there was this guy, just Paul Otwal, who is kind of linked to terrorism. And he got an invite to this event that Prime Minister Trudeau had held in yeah. India. And then he came back to Vancouver he did. and he did a press conference, but he wasn't answering any questions. His lawyer was. No, yeah, it was at the lawyer's office and we didn't know that going to it. If I recall the <laughs> invitation, it said Jazz Paul Atwell would be there yeah. at his lawyer's and office. And he was there. And he was there. He was sitting beside his lawyer, but it didn't become apparent until we actually got in the lawyer's office and in the room that he wouldn't be taking any questions. Yeah. <laughs> so in my mind, we were kind of invited there on a false premise, thinking we would hear from Jazz Paul Atwell. And I was there, and I wasn't even reporting the main story that day. I was working for the morning show, and I just mm. had to do a quick story for noon, and someone else was going to do it for 6 o'clock, okay. the larger story. <laughs> but 20 minutes went by, and everyone was very polite, and we were asking all the procedural questions. And it just occurred to me, Huh, I cannot be in a room with the subject <laughs> of the story and not attempt to ask him a question, even though it was told to us once we entered the room, he will not be taking any questions. It's my job to try and push that. Sure. He doesn't have to answer, yeah. but I have to ask. Yeah. 
And the lawyer did not take kindly yeah, to that. Yeah, and so then you asked, you know, will you be voting for Prime Minister Dude. Justin Trudeau or the Liberal Party yeah. of Canada? Yeah. And this set off this crazy interaction between between him mostly, but you, you know, yeah. pressing. I don't think Jasper Al will ever say a word. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Just, you know, so he did. He stuck to his silence. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't waver. But yeah, the lawyer tore a strip off me in the news conference and then it continued out in the hall. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But no, that was a great TV news moment. And that was really, <laughs> and again, like I said, I'm sure I was familiar with you, but that was when I was like Jordan Armstrong oh, man. imprinted in memory. So cool. So uh, <laughs> I, I should stop causing so much trouble. <laughs> when we talk about, you know, what's going on right now with restrictions being lifted and there's a lot of optimism in the air, where are you? Are you kind of on that euphoric state as we emerge out of the pandemic or do you have some anxiety about it? Both. Oh, okay, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot I'm looking forward to doing again, getting back to somewhat of a routine. I miss swimming, Mo. I really oh, do. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll start swimming again. But no, I think it's um, like I understand the anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much we haven't done for so long. And it's going to be weird to so go what are you anxious back about? into. Well, it's just. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm very like my wife and I were we love just taking it easy at night, right? We're, <laughs> we're not missing a lot of the social events. Sure. So, is there going to be that pressure to mm. do a lot very quickly, right? To go to every family event, to go to every social setting, and it's like I don't know if I'm ready for that. I kind of <laughs> like this this quiet, and I, I kind of need to ease into it. Yeah. So there's well, you the, can ease into flaking on people. Well, that's again, true. Right? That's very true. We can go back to that. <laughs> But uh, no, I mean, I guess the, the the short answer is it's going to be nice to turn the page, right? Yeah. This has been so long and so hard for a lot of people. And I consider myself very lucky because yeah, I've maintained my health and really quite a bit of a routine, mm -hmm. right? I haven't been laid off. I haven't lost any money and I still get to go to work two days a week, work from home or on location, the other three. So it hasn't been that hard for me, but I recognize for a lot of people, this is going to be uh, quite a page turn. And and how do we how totally. do we how do we do it? Right? Yeah. There's no there's, this isn't written. We don't know how to do this. <laughs> so it, it, patience and yeah, understanding is key. And I think that's kind of the cool thing. And, yep. I, and I don't want to speak out of school, but but there is a lot more checking in with people. Yes. You know, can we do this? Oh, is it okay if I yep. shake your hand or give and you a hug? And what do you feel or... comfortable with? Exactly, right? Yeah. So I think that is actually a, a very good thing. As much as I'm on the euphoric side of, I'm ready to party, Yeah, you know, not like, I just feel like there's a lot of repressed uh, extrovert energy that I have right now. Totally. Like that idea the other day, I can't remember where it came from, but there was talk of, oh, we should have a hug day. Yeah. When some I'm people in. were like, I'm all in. Yeah, yeah, some people love it, but then others are like, I'm not ready to go <laughs> Those people, they can stay at home. <laughs> yeah. All the huggers go out in the streets and hug each other. <laughs> I, I'm all in. But, you know, there are, for me, there's anxieties about the variants. We know yeah. that one of the variants spreads very quickly. We know that vaccines are less effective against it. And then I'm an AstraZeneca person, so as of time, as of recording this, unsure about where my second shot's coming from. Yeah, right. It hasn't been really made clear, so there are still like little anxieties about that. But I'm, and again, I'm speaking from a place of privilege where yeah, I didn't have to sacrifice a lot during the pandemic. I'm just, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. Well, <laughs> go it's, back to normal. And it's, I think it's such a nice surprise in a way because 
I think a lot of us were prepared for another slow inside summer, right? Mm. I mean, they canceled the P&E already, and now they're talking about bringing it back. Yeah. So we were kind of prepared to an extent to have another summer like we had last year. So it is kind of a nice surprise to realize, hey, maybe I can travel within BC. Maybe I can go to a smaller peony. I almost feel like it's a second wind of hope and optimism and a more totally sustainable one. Because at yep. the start of the year, there was that optimism because yeah. we knew vaccines were coming. Yeah. We just didn't realize that we were going to be hit harder with the oh, next wave. <laughs> totally. And even shut down a little more. Yeah. And we would have to wait for vaccines. And so I think there was a bit of collective depression during that time. Yes. And now it's like, okay, this is my, this might be the real thing. The rainy months <laughs> were hard, weren't they? <laughs> They're very hard. And yeah, it's, it, the timing is interesting because the days are getting longer. It's yeah. nicer outside. It's nice. I have to ask you about your job during the pandemic and mm -hmm. particularly as a reporter. You're supposed to be running around, talking to different people in Scrum, sometimes, uh, you know, in their face. Yeah. I imagine the mechanical process of your job as a reporter changed quite a bit during the pandemic. Oh, it's changed a tremendous amount. We're doing a lot of Zoom interviews, as you'll mm -hmm. see on TV. And while those are nice in some ways, often you can get them instantly. You phone someone up and yeah. it's like, oh, I'll jump on a Zoom call. Great. I don't have to drive across town lugging the camera and the lights and all that. And actually, I don't do that. We do have a camera person, so I don't <laughs> want it to sound like I'm taking credit for that. But um, that's it's nice in, in some ways. But you, you miss that human interaction. Mm -hmm. I miss talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. You know, when you do a Zoom interview, you kind of get the formulaic, I think, interview, right? You kind of hit record, you get the answers, and you say goodbye. But when you're doing a one-on-one -on -one interview, it's the preamble and then the post-chat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other things you can observe by being in the environment that just adds so much more to the experience and ultimately to the story. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I miss absolutely. That. And even though Zoom has that visual representation body language, tonality, it's not conveyed yeah. in the same way. The I, delay. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is something like robotic about it. And I've had that experience too. I mean, Zoom has been a godsend in some ways where I've had access to people that maybe wouldn't have come into studio ever, yep. like the premiere. Yeah. But on the other hand, my favorite episodes are the ones that are in person. And that's not to say that the Zoom episodes suck. It's And some of them actually I sound better in. <laughs> but the in-person interview just has so much more texture. And you can totally. tell there's like a natural flow to it. Yeah. Whereas Zoom, you're right, it is a lot more question, well, answer. There's question. so many more variables, right? Like yeah. you're thinking not just about the interview, but you're thinking about okay, is the lighting okay? Is the internet connection still going? Is my cat going to walk into the shot in a minute? You know what I mean? Is the neighbor outside uh, sure. cutting his grass going to bleed into the interview? You're thinking about so much. Whereas, you know, if you're just in a room like we are or outside with a camera, you can just sort of focus on that and you That's get a, a more point. natural rapport, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right. There's a self-consciousness with being on Zoom because you're also seeing yeah. yourself being projected Yeah, <laughs> where you don't normally have in a conversation and it's easier to lose yourself in a conversation and yeah. be more natural as opposed to seeing your mirror image while talking yes. to someone. <laughs> yes. Also, I should add... No one can get me beer over Zoom interviews. That's right. And you are one of the premier guests who have, <laughs> bought, who have brought me a drink. You've brought me uh, Red Truck Classic Lager. I hope it's still one cold. Oh, it's cold. Good. Yeah. You brought me an eight pack. I'm not going to drink the whole thing. <laughs> Good. I wouldn't judge you. Maybe just one for now. 
but uh, yeah, another you know great benefit of the the in person interview. Yes, little gifts, mostly booze. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad I could uh, fulfill that. So when you're cranking up the heat on leaders or, or people in power, is it easier in person then? Or oh, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, I mean, to to read the moment mm-hmm. when to do it. I think it it feels. Well, and often when you're pressuring a politician or someone in power, like it's it's not personal, right? Like this is just this is the question. This is my job. You have a job. I have to ask you this question, and I miss the opportunity, you know, after you ask the question, to then say to the person, like, "Thank you," you know, and leave it civil, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes when it's done electronically over Zoom or over the phone, you can because you can't read the person, right? <laughs> it maybe leaves it on a, a more sour note when it's when the stakes are higher, right? So yeah, are you saying that you now have beefs that originated through? No poor, poorly communicated Zoom interviews. No, I I, I don't think. I, well, maybe we should we should ask people. I'm sure people will say, oh, I, but uh, no, no. I just it just you lose so much. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? It's it's not just about when the light is on or when you're doing the interview, right? Yeah. You you can kind of establish afterwards or before, like you know, this is my job. I got to ask you this question, but it's not personal, man. <laughs> no, fair enough. Yeah. Putting all of this together, and I don't know how much the pandemic necessarily affected your work as an anchor. Like, a, and, and not much. It, yeah, it's I figured it's the same. I yeah. figured it was about the same. So then, on the reporting end, did the pandemic teach you anything about your craft? Oh, it's taught me a number of things. One thing is how many, how I would I would gather a lot of stories in before times just by wandering around the city, just observing things in everyday mm. life, right? Like, I, I like to think I'm a very curious person. So I would see a development sign and see, I wonder what that's about. And sort of, you know, that's how a lot of stories would start. Or we'd be out on a walk on our day off and my wife and I would notice something and I'd go back and make some calls or, you know, meeting with people, right? Over mm. coffee and picking their brain. So I, I miss being able to get the stories that way. And I used to get a lot of them that way. So it's, yeah, it's, it's different, maybe harder to find stories hmm. i think so yeah yeah and how do you find stories that you know are gonna appeal to the public is it are you kind of just going on instinct of what appeals to you personally no i mean the way i like to sort of explain it is in a way i almost feel like a line cook you know i will make anything that is ordered right mm-hmm. like what the news of the day is what the, what the station assigns me um, you know, some days it's, I'm making all burgers. Uh, other days, you know, someone uh, orders something with, with good ingredients. And so, so as a, you know, if you think of yourself as a chef, I just like to cook with good ingredients. Mm. I like to make things, um, you know, with good ingredients. And, and, and my ingredients are people, pictures, and sound. So mm-hmm. if I get any story with interesting people, interesting pictures, and good sound, I want to do it. It doesn't have to be the top story. You know, it can be the back-end feature, but uh, just the opportunity to have good ingredients yeah. in a story, sign me up. I'll do it. What's the mix of something being assigned to you versus you stumbling across something and, and pitching it and being like, hey, this would be a cool story? Uh, maybe half the time I okay. find something. But it always goes through our assignment desk. You know, sure. if I have something, I say, here's an idea I have. Here's who I could maybe get. And here's what they say so far about it. And you know, they say yay or nay. 
and then yeah we kind of just go from there depends yeah. on the news of the day too some days it's it's more obvious what we'll cover mm -hmm. and then other days you know there's more time to kind of go out and do something like i was saying that maybe i found you know while walking around and made some phone calls about it sure yeah I want to get into the philosophy of your work because this stuff really does fascinate me. Yeah. I want to talk about this idea of objectivity. Yes. I love being very critical of things like democracy and free will and objectivity is one of those big concepts that I think we understand conceptually, but it is quite complicated once you start pulling it apart. Yes. I presume that you strive to be objective in your work. How do you view this grand concept of objectivity as a reporter? I think sometimes people for, forget the original purpose of objectivity. It's not saying that journalists have no bias. When it was introduced about 100 years ago, it was actually the opposite. It was a recognition that journalists and people have a bias. Mm -hmm. And objectivity is a formula for evaluating information and approaching it right? I won't bore you through the history of journalism, but I mean, the way I, I like to basically go about things is, here's the story. Here's how it's coming together. Here's, here's how it's being presented by the people involved and give it to you to, to sort of do the sniff test on it. You can buy it or you can say, you know, take a whiff of it and say, I, I don't believe it, but mm. I just want to present it to you. Um, as simply as possible and just let you judge. That's, that's what I love about what I do. Um, I'm not backing the idea. I'm not pushing it. I just want to give it to you for you to decide. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how I do it. I would say there's no, I, I agree, there's no such thing as absolute objectivity. Right. Because as human beings, right, there are certain things we just know are right and wrong. Um, homophobia is bad, racism is bad, right? We don't mm. give equal time to the other sides right. in those, yeah. right? So, so you yeah. almost think of it as it's pragmatic objectivity yeah. is the way I approach it. And so let's take an example of objectivity yeah. in practice, because this is what I find a controversial example and one that I've also thought about quite a bit. The anti-vax, anti-mask oh, yes. protesters. Those guys. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, if they're staging a protest, the first question is, should that be covered by media? And I look at it and I go, well, if it's a big enough protest and they're being disruptive, then yeah, that seems like news, right? Yeah. What, what's your take in terms of if they're staging a protest, should, should they be given a platform? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, just because you hold a protest, it doesn't mean you're getting on the news. Right. Right. You, you can't, no one operates like that. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I would say this. But too. there's some like weirdos in that Oh, group, oh, right? oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that helps the sensationalism. Sure. <laughs> sure. I, I think one thing I would say is, I mean, they're probably holding a protest as we speak, um, a small one. And there are probably no cameras there, right? Like the protests are happening quite a bit, but they're not getting on the news that much. I think we cover them when there's something new or maybe interesting about them. I'm not saying, you know, we're endorsing it, but it's, it's you know, something notable, like, you know, the anthem singer appears at one, mm. or they have a, a doctor speaking at one. We're going to go and, and assess that out. Um, I think 
in these situations, though, this is where the camera really shines. We don't have to say a lot as the reporters. You know, we could we just say these are untested uh, things, right? Like science doesn't back this up. You know, this is this is uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah, but you kind of just turn the camera on and you show people the crowd. I actually wonder if it has the opposite effect to what some fear. You know, some people will often say, oh, you're giving these people a platform. It's dangerous. You're going to encourage more people to join them. From what I've heard from, you know, talking to friends and, 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 you know, others, um, they kind of think it has the opposite effect. That once people Hmm. see the crowd, it's lack of diversity uh, and some of the other theories they're peddling, which are beyond the anti-mask, they may be more, for people on the fence, thinking about, you know, they were skeptical of, of, um, of the restrictions. Once they see the true makeup of the crowd, you wonder if they'll actually go, oh, I don't want to be associated with those folks. <laughs> and again, I think that's where I'm curious, because yeah. as you said, you're not, and I'm not specifically talking about you. We're talking oh, yeah. about the idea in general, but I am just curious about, you know, as you just said, there's some things that news will not cover, quote unquote, objectively, because you you don't want to cover homophobia or racism or those sides. Yeah. But then areas like this are yeah. a lot more gray. Well, and these people exist, right? Yeah. We, we can't cover up reality. Yeah. I mean, and I think... But should you be... Or do you have a responsibility to explicitly debunk these ideas in the protest in a news hit? I think we do. I think, you know, you, you don't need to go down the list of, of each one, right? And take <laughs> they each have person's, a lot of signs. They have a lot of signs. <laughs> um, and I think people are smart, yeah. right? People, people are smart. This, and it's not a large group. Mm-hmm. Like, look, we're a year, more than a year into the pandemic. And these protests don't attract attract big crowds Mm -hmm. a few hundred maybe yeah right so i think to me that again speaks to how much coverage we give them right it's not a large group they don't represent a large portion of the population so they don't get on much and when they do get on i mean how much of it is that freak show element the more salacious like because i do like conspiracy theories yeah you know i'm not saying i believe in them i just have a fascination with them so i enjoy reading about what some people believe in. Yeah, it's... You know, there's a weird part of me that enjoys that news coverage. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's you know, unusual is, is one element of what <laughs> gets on the news, right? <laughs> so when you see that pop up, yeah. And so, I mean, this is one of those examples as well. Like, aren't there then editorial decisions being made about how this is covered oh, if it's covered absolutely which clips make make it in right so it's not yeah and that's the thing it's like when you look at it that way then doesn't objectivity become <laughs> almost impossible yeah i mean it's it's you know you, you you're not injecting your opinion i think the way we cover these stories mm-hmm. is okay we're at this anti-mask rally there's 200 people here it's a large crowd and and they're going on about things beyond, you know, the restrictions. There's theories here about Bill Gates and Freemasons and whatever. Um, these are conspiracy theories, not not backed by science. Yeah. You know, we went into the crowd. Here's what they had to say. Yeah. That's kind of how I would do it. And again, there are editorial decisions yeah. made in what's presented, right? Yeah. 
what was it like covering that group? I haven't like co- I only covered them a couple of times. Yeah. Paul Johnson's been down, down there a ton. Mm-hmm. And he does a masterful job. He's very smart. Um, it can be hostile. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of yeah. Are he, you surprised at how hostile it is? Because again, no, no, oh no, okay. No. I just thought that if you're covering a protest and you want to get your message out, then you'd you invite you, the media. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see the media is like a, a yeah. platform. Maybe maybe not a maybe not an ally. Yeah. but a way to get your message out. But I think that's part of their MO, right? They want to look like they're against the system and they view us as part of it. So it was not good. <laughs> not a pleasant experience. I didn't feel unsafe yeah. or anything. Yeah, it was just, you know, the, the fake news and corporate media. And, oh, you know, they shout at you a little bit, but eh, yeah, whatever. They, they, it's a free country. They can say that. I'm also a big fan of being critical of media and that's not to knock anyone's work even though i have on occasion yeah, yeah. fair enough yeah but i just think it's a healthy part of consuming media you know totally. whether it's the news or a tv show or a book that you're reading like just being critical of the messages and how it's presented mm-hmm. and i firmly believe that journalists play a key role in our culture by keeping people particularly those in power accountable it fascinates me wondering why certain questions are asked and others are missed. And obviously, sometimes it's just a time thing. Sometimes it's just a difference of opinion where I think something is important and it doesn't get asked. You know, but generally speaking, I I think my criticism falls under relatively, like, fair (laughs) fair critique. Yeah. There are some folks, and we've seen this really put into hyperdrive in the last few years, that just dismiss all media, except maybe, like, fringe online media outlets shooting the messengers yelling fake news as you just said and presuming that there's like a grand conspiracy behind literally everything yeah how do we achieve healthy media critique and maybe mine isn't healthy either i mean and i want your opinion on that like how do we stay critical of media without going too far off the deep end where everything is conspiracy and it's not worth paying attention to i i First of all, I agree with you. I mean, media criticism is so important, right? We hold people accountable. You mm-hmm. should hold us accountable too. I've always believed in that. I think what I would tell people is we all want to do better, right? This is We're all trying to grow and learn. No one wants to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think I can speak for most journalists who say, you know, when I say we lie awake at night if we've made a mistake, hmm. it, it, it eats us up, right? So... And when presented with new information, we will do better. So if we make a mistake or we use some outdated language, send us a nice note, you know, send send us a note and say, hey, maybe you didn't know this or maybe you missed this, but this is actually wrong or this should be the term today. And I, I almost guarantee you, you'll get a response back going, thanks, didn't consider that, right? <laughs> and, and, I, and the number of times I've actually got a secondary story out of something like that, mm. right? When someone will see something and, and maybe there was a voice that wasn't available that day or I didn't think of, they'll suggest it. Sometimes they'll be nice enough to send along their contact information and then I'll do that as the story the next day or the next week, right? Yeah. We're all trying to be better. Uh, think of it like, it, you know, as you would in an office, right? Mm. If, if a colleague of yours... Um, left something out of a document, you wouldn't go screaming at them like, F you, you know, fake it. No, you would go up to them and say, hey, you may not have been aware of this, but did you think of this? Did you consider this? And they would go, 
no, thank you. Yeah. That's, that's how I think. And that's, that's the most productive way, I think, to be critical of media. Yeah, you get, I think You give so. us something to work with. I think so. And I, I almost look at it in a way where instead of going to ill intent first, yeah. <laughs> yeah. think about, oh, maybe they just didn't consider this. <laughs> well, because I think at the end of the day, I hope we all want to be better. Yeah. Yeah. Right, we're all trying to learn, and there's constantly. Very, I mean, I, it might vary for each person, but I just think about people in my in my life, family and friends. Yeah, we've all made mistakes, self included, and usually those mistakes are out of you know ignorance or yeah. time constraint. Yeah. Right? It's it's rarely ill intent. Yes, <laughs> or, exactly, or some Machiavellian conspiracy that. You know, we've we've gone out and hurt people. I mean, that happens for sure. Yep. But just in general, I think people function in a way where when they make mistakes, it's not because they want to. No, exactly. And and like I I try and be, or I consider myself a very curious person. Like I'm always looking for for things I didn't think of. You know, when I when I approach something in the past, what mm-hmm. what else is part of this what else is contributing to it yeah. and, and i can't get it all at once so i really genuinely appreciate when people reach out and flag something i maybe didn't see or didn't think of you talked about being kept up at night so you know i have to ask oh, you yeah give me an example of something that, that kept you up at night or something that you were really like oh <sighs> i got that wrong or i wish oh, I had okay known. Give an example um a couple years ago during a snowfall you don't know why the snowfall is relevant. I don't think it was. But we did a story about shock collars on dogs. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we were, we were using some file footage. You know, just a, we needed dogs in general. Yeah. Show dogs in general. And I felt really bad because one of the, the shots in the file footage was of a PADS dog, like a Pacific Assistance Guide dog. Hmm. And we, and, you know, we just time constraint. You're just putting the pictures down, right? Dog, there's a picture of a dog, and we're just gonna put it on. But it left some with the impression that the pads dogs were were being shocked. Being shocked, oh, right? And no. giving them shock collars. And then some this wonderful woman from pads contacted me and you know said, What is this? And and I was oh my gosh, they felt horrible. Yeah. Right? And that was something that completely like slipped my mind, it slipped the editor's mind. We didn't think People would make a connection between that. Didn't even recognize it, right? Um, but it's just a reminder of how how much weight the role carries, right? And, and to be careful about it. And like you say, sometimes an innocent mistake can cause damage mm-hmm. or, you know, make it feel like it could. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So that kept I me up at night. That. I was really, I, I didn't want to hurt pads. <laughs> they felt very bad. No, they do good work. They do great work. <laughs> Has the hostility towards reporters increased in like the Trump years? I mean, you're very young, but you've been doing this for 13 or 14 years now. Have you seen like in the last five years or six years, maybe that hostility increased or or has it always been there? It's a much more overt and much more direct. Okay. (laughs) You know, like on Twitter, right? Yeah. People can be anonymous. But if I would say, and, and I get, I'm speaking from a place of privilege. So in my experience, most people are still very nice, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a, most interactions I have 
with our audience and, and with people in person, it's, it's very positive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, yeah, during, during the Trump years, there was certainly the, um, the fake news narrative you'd see cropping up and, and people would be more inclined to bomb your live hit, as we call it, you know, right. stand behind you and shout or try and grab the mic. Yeah. So those incidents have, have certainly you, went you've up. had that happen? Uh, never, actually, it never got on. Oh, it it wasn't live. Well, no, it was live and there was a guy behind me shouting that and other words that start with F and (laughs) I kind of wrapped up and threw back to the studio. Okay. Before it could happen. Because I could, because I could sense it coming. Yeah. But you can't always, right? Sometimes people sneak up on you and grab the mic. So that's, you know, that's scary, right? Particularly for, um, journalists maybe working alone i mean i'm lucky i work with a camera person uh, and an editor but there are a lot of uh vjs as we call them which mm-hmm. is you're 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 the camera person you're the editor and you're the reporter right right you've got the camera set up and you're maybe working alone maybe early in the morning or at night mm-hmm. so that's scary yeah yeah and it's an invasion of you know it, this is our workplace mm-hmm. right i don't come to your job and scream at you so please don't do that to me. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> please don't turn the tables on me here. And like, we can, we can talk. Like, let me do my, my hit and yeah. let's talk afterwards, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I, I mean, again, maybe it's just because I'm paying more attention. I feel like that that happens more. And you see, obviously, reporters willing to put that footage on Twitter or, yeah. or whatever and, and show that footage. And it is disturbing because you're just trying to do your job. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I almost wonder if that's like the biggest cultural legacy that President Trump leaves behind is that really cynical distrust of all institutions, particularly Maybe. the media, in a way that it's it's not okay, but yeah. in his world it's okay to shout down and be you know very host- openly hostile to those institutions. Yeah, I, I guess time will tell, right? I mean, the other part I kind of wondered too is some of, of that was maybe good for the media industry. Like, look at the New York Times. They have more subscribers, mm. you know, in recent years under the Trump administration than they had in a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some negativity with it, but I think it actually also created some opportunities for media. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. My, my jury's still out. <laughs> we'll see. Fair enough. Going back to your work, covering the downtown east side, yeah. I think seems like the most challenging beat in Vancouver. It's complicated and it's almost unfair to look at an isolated incident without taking into account historical context, socioeconomic context. Going back to this idea of, again, objectivity, how do you approach or cover a story within a two-minute segment knowing that there are long-standing systemic issues yeah. within the context. You can't cover the downtown east side in two minutes. Yeah. Right? I mean, there are many stories you can, you know, house fire, whatever, right? You can mm-hmm. tell that in two minutes. The downtown east side is so complicated. And as you say, you know, there are so many issues at play. So you have to break it out. You have to do a number of shorter stories over time to give that depth. That's how we do it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I go down to the downtown east side to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. It's not my 
view. This is this is their experience, right? You may not like it, but this is this is their take on it. And I try and do it from a variety of angles and and of voices because this does affect us all and i think we can objectively say it's not working for everybody mm -hmm. for anyone right mm -hmm. it's not working um but in order for there to perhaps be significant change everybody has to be invested in the issue their eyes have to be open to it and but their eyes are going to be open to it in a different way yeah right like everybody has to have a voice for there to actually be meaningful change. Mm -hmm. Is this one of those things where, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, yeah. but where you're kind of saying, listen, don't judge me by one story, Absolutely. but it's the collection of stories that I'm trying to tell. Absolutely. That's it, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I love your work and, and, I see it online where some people get very upset with you. And I'm like, Jordan's such a nice guy. And, you know, he, he's, he's relatively neutral. And, you know, you're not this, you're not this like hugely opinionated uh, person. You know, I, I, I throw out opinions, sure. but you're very I'm just trying to neutral. be a reporter. Yeah. yeah. And I see this, this backlash with sometimes you do these stories. And do you think it's because they're just looking at maybe one story as opposed to that's the collection? I think that's of exactly what it is. And actually what I've learned is Twitter is not a good platform to share those chunks of information, mm -hmm. right? Because it doesn't link you back to the story I did even the day before, looking at something completely different on that larger issue. Yeah. People don't see that, right? But my audience sees it. My audience knows it. Right. And, you know, when I kind of reflect on how I could have done, I could have done something differently, I don't base it on the Twitter comments necessarily, because that's not my audience, right? Right. If I miss something and if I do something wrong, I will hear from my audience. I will get emails, mm -hmm. right? That's when I kind of more seriously reflect on what was missed. Yeah. Because the Twitter crowd isn't seeing all of that. And, and part of it was my fault because I wasn't sharing all of the stories. Sure. Right? Sure. Kind of just would selectively, if I had time at the end of the day and happened to be at a computer, you know, oh, here's my story today. Yeah. I wouldn't share all of them. I mean, obviously I love Twitter, yeah. but it's hard even to have those conversations about media critique. Yeah. Right? In, a, in, a, in a fair way, because you are limited to characters. And totally. It can be very reactionary. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's like as... You know, it's hard to tell the story in two minutes for TV. It's even harder on Twitter to just have the headline <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and to give people a sense of it. And then sometimes they'll reply and it's clearly haven't even watched the story that you've tweeted, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But, One story that generated a lot of controversy online was the story about Jane. Yes. And so it was a resident who felt afraid and she was threatened by a homeless person yeah. in her neighborhood. And certainly the visibility of homeless folks has been up during the pandemic. We know there are more people on the street, unfortunately. Also because people are at home, maybe they just see more of that. Yep. But again, the, the context is huge. Gentrification, COVID, the drug poisoning crisis. Like, <laughs> yeah. when you look at that incident with, with Jane, like, yeah. can that story ever be told Fairly, like I think you reported, I guess the facts of the action pretty fairly. Yeah, but can that full story be ever told fairly? Because I know stuff came out about 
potentially she was part of some community group that was also, you know, they had this anti-homelessness thing. And there was there was a big effort to question her credibility. Yeah. And I was getting DMs from some podcasters and stuff really trying to find her, but that never panned out. I mean, she was someone I found not in one of those, let's call it safer Vancouver groups or mm. whatever, right? Um, I just saw a tweet one day and, and messaged her. And, you know, there's more to the story just in terms of her background that I'm not supposed to reveal just to protect her no, identity, right? Yeah. But, you know, I would just say I, I did those checks, right? To mm -hmm. assess out who we're dealing with here. Um, but but it's, it's a valid experience. I mean, that story was about not the whole, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the full picture of the downtown east side it wasn't mm -hmm. 10 minutes 60 minutes deep dive on the whole issue it was a, that two minute story was about young families mm -hmm. and the challenges they're facing mm -hmm. you know when it came to safety at that time so jane was a, a mother uh of, of a of a infant who was, was pushing a stroller and felt unsafe uh the story also included a young family that um, had a similar feeling that, that there had been a change on the street and they were just no longer interested in, in living downtown, mm -hmm. right? That's a valid story to tell. Um, and I think as long as you, you're also committed to telling the other stories mm -hmm. and, and giving the audience that context as you go along, that's how I have to do it, right? This is this is a day in the life of the city. <laughs> I wish I had ten minutes, yeah, to do and and weeks to do the whole, like I say, the sixty minute style. You know, really dissect the whole issue. Yeah, but that's not the medium I'm working in, right? I'm working in daily TV news. The audience expects something in two minutes, and this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, and I respect that. And again, I think it is about the collective body of work right yeah. if every one of your stories is look at this terrible thing a homeless person did of course then it's fair to look to be like hey what's up with this weird pattern absolutely <laughs> absolutely but yeah. yeah no you you have to you have to give that context and and i would say too keep in mind i'm not i'm not doing my stories all the time i mean i contribute some ideas mm -hmm. but even if I personally haven't done that other sidebar. Our station is ensuring that another reporter has. Yeah. Right? So. I almost feel like the news consuming person, the consumer, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but like <laughs> when they go into any news story, whether it's in print or on TV or on the radio, yeah. to fully understand what's happening, they need like a base of background knowledge yeah right like it's, it's tough it is tough and it's easy to be and that's where you know you have the pundits that can sway you one way or the other but like i'm reading sam cooper's book right now and Which again is great and he's talking about this systemic issue of organized crime mm -hmm. and it is complicated oh yeah <laughs> like it's a brilliant book yeah but when you when you start going through the pieces and he writes in a in a very clear and accessible way but it's man it's really complicated and I'm, and I'm thinking like how could he possibly put this in like even like let's say he has a thousand words yeah he can't put that story in a thousand words he can't put that story in a two minute even a three minute tv segment yeah right yeah <laughs> and so then if he's reporting on little incidences within this whole structure it's like 
you're getting that news, but how much value does it actually add to understanding yeah. what's going on? You know, you know, and I, 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 I look like I look at these. Sometimes I look at the web version of the story I do, mm -hmm. and um, you know, our web team is great because they can go through and write up the story I did for TV, but then put in all the the links to the other stories, exactly. right? And I often, I wish I could do that. I wish we could, you know, have something pop up on the screen and, you know, go here to see yesterday's piece and link it back. Yeah. You know, but you, you just can't. I mean, you try and put as much context as you can into the piece, mm -hmm. um, you know, referencing the other stories you've done. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have eight minutes. <laughs> Would that ever interest you? Like, is that, do, do you like doing the, the shorter hits or, or would you love to do maybe something longer? I'd love to do a few more long form things for sure. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. You, you get a lot of satisfaction out of that. I think to really throw everything, you know, into one piece yeah. and make it all weave together. That would be fun. Will we um, ever see that in evening news? I'm not saying that yeah. you have half an hour dedicated, but I feel like we've seen segments that certainly run longer yeah, than, than yeah. two minutes, I, I right? I think there's, there's more lately. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we did a, a piece the other day. It was, it was two pieces, but it was, I think it ran about eight minutes, yeah. which was longer than we'd seen in recent years. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I, it's hard, right? Because the audience does expect... Um, a short condensed story right and i get it like it, mm -hmm. it is a lot to ask people for two minutes of their time yeah. at the end of a busy day right they expect us to get to the point um but it's but, but they're just they're different uh styles right like a daily newscast is is one form but then there are other shows right like like i said 60 minutes cbs sunday morning where things go a bit longer and mm -hmm. that's that's what the audience expects when they tune in when they tune in there yeah. yeah 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 i just wonder if if maybe that'll change uh and again not full 30 minute dives but like like you said like maybe the news hour will have like an eight to ten minute segment on yeah a, a deeper dive into something else the challenge too is always how do you do that in one day because oh, if we're doing it fair. every day that's fair right that's a heavy lift to get the story at 10 a.m. and have You're it ready for seven six days a week. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to go, I, I just want to get your, your, your feel on, on, on the downtown East side, on homelessness, on street crime. Yeah. So less about how you're framing stories, but more just on what you're seeing. One thing that we've discussed on this podcast with Mayor Kennedy Stewart and Vancouver Sun reporter Dan Fumano is crime in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And Mayor Stewart was adamant that crime levels are stable. They've kind of moved around in terms of the types of crime and the areas that they're happening, but they're all relatively flat. But there are some people who very adamantly feel like Vancouver has degraded in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear it from mainstream politicians about how terrible Vancouver is now. And it becomes this weird debate over like how safe people feel versus how safe they actually are. I don't live in the city of Vancouver. Uh, I would say <laughs> when I come down here, like to record podcasts, I would say that, yeah, there's probably a greater visibility of a homeless population is probably spread in different areas like Yale town a little yeah. more, but as someone on the ground. And again, you're, you just said like, you're, you're out there, you're looking for stories, you're seeing what's happening. What's your take on 
crime, homelessness, safety in Vancouver? Has it changed much in the last couple of years or during the pandemic? Yeah, my sense is, and I, and I heard the mayor and Dan also say this, and I would agree that the pandemic really opened up everything, right? Like that had a dramatic effect um, on the streets. But I, I do also think it's a neighborhood by neighborhood thing. Mm. A lot of what we heard in terms of people feeling unsafe was downtown, Yale town, Crosstown, Chinatown. Um, and yeah, I mean, while crime trends and, and it's relatively stable, there were certain types of incidents that did see an alarming uptick, right? Mm -hmm. Violent shoplifting. I did a lot of stories about that. Mm -hmm. That was up quite a bit. Mm. You know, when you, you would hear from small business owners who would say, uh, shoplifting's always been a problem. Yeah. You know, um, it's just the cost of doing business. But I've never had incidents where my employees were being threatened and sometimes um, had to confront physical violence. Hmm. And that went up quite a bit, right? So During the pandemic or even before that? I, I think I did the first story just before the pandemic. Okay. And then perhaps, I, and again, I'm just saying this anecdotally, perhaps the pandemic with all the other factors um, exacerbated, right? Make, mm -hmm. Maybe it made it worse. But I mean, I live in one part of Vancouver. Um, just speaking as a resident of Kitsilano, um, I'll take my reporter hat off here for a moment, sure. but I, I don't notice a change in my neighborhood, Yeah. right? But when I go downtown and talk to others, they will say something different and they will give examples of it. And in certain cases, the stats show an increase. But then in other cases, a lot of the time, what they share about what makes them feel unsafe, it's also the crimes that would go underreported, right? Like we've seen in recent months, um, the the shocking numbers of the anti-Asian racism, right? Mm -hmm. And, and sure. the wide acknowledgement that that is probably... The number is probably larger yeah because it's been underreported yeah and i think that's the same with some types of street disorder and and certainly shoplifting yeah yeah so i think uh, to answer your question i hope i'm answering your question i think it's a neighborhood by neighborhood thing and i think early on in the pandemic you started to hear from people in and around downtown that they had felt there had been a change i don't think you're hearing it as much anymore you're not hearing it as much no anymore. i don't think so I haven't heard it as much. I think it, things may have stabilized a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So the city is not going to shit, is what you're saying. No, I don't think the city, no, yeah. No, I mean, look, I mean, we have to look at it in the big picture, right? Like Vancouver yeah. is still a very safe city. Yeah. People had some concerns, maybe still have some concerns about what their neighborhood has become. Mm -hmm. And in, in a way, it's just, it, they speak out as sort of a cry for help, right? It's because they're passionate about their neighborhood they just they don't want to feel like this they want to still live there yeah but hey um I, i've been threatened twice while going to the grocery store with my newborn in the last week shouldn't happen absolutely yeah and, and that's all it is right there, there are other issues that i wonder about and again this goes back to that idea of objectivity or framing yeah. and i know you've covered ish, certainly on the bathrooms the public bathrooms you've, you've covered mm -hmm. this as well but like when you see a story and someone is complaining about human feces everywhere or, or around their building or ambulance calls late at night and yeah. they're woken up by them consistently, those are framed as like inconveniences to the residents. But there's a flip side to that of like, 
there's not enough public bathrooms for people. Exactly. Or in the ambulance cases, why are there so many health calls right now? Like, yeah. which is probably related to the drug overdose crisis. Sometimes I, I wonder if people hear again those ambulance calls or see the human feces and go, "Oh, the neighborhood's unsafe," without maybe looking at the the, the other side yeah. of that. Of like, oh, yeah. oh it's not a, so much a safety thing, but a you know public restroom thing yeah. or a housing thing or you know a drug overdose thing. Yeah. Right. I think as in as in many cases, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got people saying everything's fine. And you've got people saying everything's going to hell. You know, <laughs> you, you kind of have to look at the evidence and then usually i find it's somewhere in the middle yeah right and you kind of have to be you have to tune certain parts of it out you know and not go always to the loudest voices (laughs) to get the take on it right you got to go to the front lines and talk to yeah the 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 actual business owners and not just the group that is advocating for something bigger (laughs) right and so when you do go to those voices, and this is kind of going back to the Jane thing, and I don't know, you yeah. know, the full story with her, and, and obviously there are things that you can't reveal, but yeah. when you hear those voices coming up, I mean, you, are you sussing out like, Absolutely. What's, what's your interest in this? Do you Absolutely. own property? Do, are you part of a political party? Absolutely. You have to ask the questions, right? Like, yeah. like why are you speaking out? What do you hope will change from this? Mm-hmm. Is someone put you up to this, right? Like, and you have to go with your gut after talking to the person about what they're trying to get out of it, right? And and I would say too, a a lot of the people I did stories with were very reluctant to do it, Hmm. which is a signal to me, right? Like they're, they, they are reluctant to have the attention they want change they say but they're they're reluctant to they're scared of speaking out so you mm-hmm. have to you know develop a bit of a trust with them to do it yeah which is i think you know it's, it maybe goes both ways but it's another sign to me i think you have to take that along with other evidence of you know maybe their motives are more pure they're not you know in this for a a larger gain right they don't have a bigger agenda at play does that no, answer your question no no it does yeah. i I'm, I'm just thinking about it i mean i'm not that I'm an expert at anything, but I'm, I'm thinking about the punditry side as opposed oh, yeah, to the yeah, reporting yeah. side, right? Yeah. And so when I look at the punditry side, it's like, and this is across networks. This is not singling out any one network or person or anything. Yeah. Most of the political pundits have skin in the game. Yes. And sometimes those are not explicitly conveyed. Yes. And you just assume it's a guy or you just <laughs> assume, you know, like when Stockwell Day was on Power and Politics, Oh, it's just a former politician, but then his current work wasn't particularly being expressed. Yeah. And so I know from that end, I'm extremely skeptical of <laughs> political punditry. Yeah. And you should be. That's good. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, but I don't know how it is on the reporting side, right? Like, I don't know what the, what the methodology is in terms of bringing on people or yeah, I mean, it's, getting stories or, or, to- or disclosing what their interests are. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, you always have to disclose and I, and I, you know, that's why we have someone's name on the screen with what group they're in and we we introduce them as that. Right. Um, But I think I just personally, I try and go for as many real quote unquote voices as possible. Right. Everyday folks who you don't see on the news all the time representing a particular viewpoint. That's what I'm trying to do. And that's what I, I hope I did with, you know, some of the stories I did about, 
safety in the downtown east side and, and around Vancouver, right? I, I like to think I brought you more of the Janes and, and the grocery store owners and less of the pundits. Right, sure. That's what I'm striving for. They, they may have a, a voice in the coverage as sort of a secondary voice to say what they say, mm -hmm. but I try not to, you know, try and dig a little deeper yeah. to get people on the front lines of it. That's what I want. When you are reporting, I mean, obviously you're reporting on some really fun stuff as well, but mm -hmm. again, some really dark, ugly, tough stuff, right? Yeah. Is this the type of work where you really need to have a certain emotional detachment or compartmentalization? Like, I, I, I can't see being an em like what is it, an empath, uh, someone who really takes on yeah, 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 someone who really takes on other people's emotions. I just can't see someone being that and being a reporter on certain beats like how do you i mean you've seen some you've seen some stuff yeah. no, <laughs> how, how does how, how do you regulate your emotions and, and your empathy and I mean, your feelings you're you're a human being first right yeah and you can still approach situations with your reporter hat on but also be a compassionate human right yeah. and and when people have gone through trauma um that's that's hard to do. I mean, no reporter likes going up to the door mm -hmm. of someone who's just lost a loved one and knocking and seeing if they have something to say. Mm -hmm. That's a horrible thing sometimes we have to do. Mm -hmm. But you also have to be open to how that person is maybe dealing with it. Sometimes that person wants to talk and, and wants that opportunity to share the experience of their loved one because they want them to be remembered more than just a stat. Mm -hmm. Right? So, yeah, you're constantly in situations where, you know, you, you realize you will never understand what that person's gone through, mm -hmm. but you try and, you try and give them the space they need. And you know what? I have to ask politely, but say no if you don't want to, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not pressuring you. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I try and be... Uh, compassionate journalist. That's, yeah. that's what I strive for, right? Um, but I think sometimes people confuse being a compassionate journalist for, you know, treating everything soft, treating everything with, with you know, a gentle touch or a, mm. a softer lens. Compassion, I think, also extends to results, right? Um, so sometimes the hard sell or the, the, the hard truths that we reveal, um, I also do feeling like I'm still being a compassionate journalist. Yeah. You got a baby face, but does it ever wear on you? <laughs> Sometimes. You know, I, I, I never escape. Well, hopefully I've escaped it now because I, I feel like I've aged terribly during the pandemic. But uh, yeah, I was told when I was, when I was thinking of getting into TV that I would have to wait till like I was in my 30s because yeah. I, I looked way too young. I would have been about 24 at the time. So yeah. Yeah. No, no. But uh, on the, the, like going back to the actual question, I mean, uh, not actually your, oh, okay, your aesthetic, yeah. but yeah. All the stuff that you're reporting on, I mean, does it ever feel like a weight? And oh, absolutely. Just, you know, take take a little bit of your soul. Absolutely. <laughs> there are yeah. things you never forget. Yeah. Right? And and sometimes it's not the obvious. Sometimes it's the smell, you know? Um, it, yeah. You, you take a piece of, I think, everything you cover. That's difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I hope you would. Right, because you should be a human being. Yeah, in, in what you're doing. So then, how but do you manage? To, yeah, how, how do you manage not just 
falling into a depression or gardens. You know, really Ga- gardens are my new thing i, okay. I love i love going to van dusen garden and just okay. like chilling among the plants yeah in the toby garden at ubc another one uh yeah you got to get outside care yeah you, you gotta leave it i think at the end of the day one of the great things about this job is you you, have, you don't really have a lot of homework you know you kind of do your story of the day and then you move on to something else so to me i found lately it's really important to Okay, you filed your story, go home, put your shorts on, go for a bike ride, just get out of that world. Yeah. Right, and remind yourself, things are still okay. So that so that trope of like the crusty old reporters chain-smoking cigarettes at his desk while he's, you know, making phone calls and yeah, yeah. The, putting the strings on different things, that that's done? That, that doesn't exist? I don't think there are many of those left. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of reporters who kind of work 24-7. Yeah. Who I'm... I'm sure, like, go home and, and do it all. Yeah. You know, and, and it is. It is a 24-7 job to some degree, True. right? People can message you anytime, and they do, which is great. And then you start chasing that story and trying to set it up for the next day when you're actually working. Sure, yeah. But uh, that's good. Yeah. Jordan Armstrong, this was a, a real treat, man. I, uh, I appreciate you being here and being so open to talk about some of these issues. I keep wanting to to say, like, Oh, you know, it's, it's been a weird time or <laughs> it is a weird time. And then I feel like, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's always been unknown. Of course. Right? It's it always been, been kind of yeah. weird. It's just been more turbulent. It has. It was, we've had, you know, the fire hose has widened, yeah. right? And, and, and the amount of water coming at us and it's hard to consume it all. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- and I think in that it's kind of been cool because we've started to ask different questions. Yeah. You know, whether it is about your work process or how we look at the news or, you know, even questions about our, ourselves personally. And you're starting to see that in, yeah. in terms of some of the cultural shifts. So I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about some of this stuff. As we wrap up, what is your call to action? What do you want people to do? Have a good summer. That's it. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. It's been a tough year, Mo. Just chillax. And they can go to your parks even if they overcrowd them? Well, yeah, maybe it's sensible. Don't do anything that's going to get you in trouble. But yeah, have fun. That's it, right? We've, I mean, and, and as I said at the beginning, I've, I've been very lucky. Uh, it's been, it's, it's been a good. I haven't had to experience job loss and you know, mm-hmm. and and health uh, deterioration. So, I, I, I speak from a place of privilege. But yeah, I mean, I hope people can have just fun, chillax. I love it. That's a great way to end the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Mo. My pleasure. People. Yes, his smile is as nice as person as it is on camera. <laughs> he is the anchor of the Saturday and Sunday editions of Global News at 11, and he reports for the Global News Hour at 6 during the week. He is Jordan Armstrong, and I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. Peace.